Hey everyone, we're going to get to the episode here momentarily. Uh, really quick, I wanted to speak on behalf of myself and my co-host James Johnson when we express our support for Jacob Blake and his family. For those of you who don't know, Jacob Blake is an African-American man that was gunned down by police while his back was turned to them while his children were in the car. At the time of this recording, he is alive, although he has suffered significant life-altering injuries. We hope and pray for a time that we no longer have to react to stories like this. However, until we do, we will continue to use our platform responsibly. Jay and I are both minorities that live in areas with a lot of racial tension, and I can speak for myself when I tell you that I'm afraid every single day that the next black man or woman that is needlessly killed by police is someone close to me. We here at Believe in the Jaguars will continue to campaign for Black Lives Matter, and if that bothers you, well, then this isn't the show for you. With that being said... Let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody, welcome back to a new episode of Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe podcast network i am your co-host phil smith aka phil the filipino and as always i am joined by the managing editor of the jaguars wire over on usa today james johnson jay we have been waiting to do this episode for a while because we have a very special guest who we will introduce in just a moment but first and foremost good to be back with you and i just want to know how you're doing yeah my man i can't complain glad to be back for another episode once again to all of the subscribers and listeners appreciate the support uh, because, um, like I said, it looked like we're trending in a great direction right now. We might hit a month high. We'll see at the end of the month. But, yeah, man, like you, I'm glad to have on our guest as well because uh, we've been trying to get her on for a minute, and finally she had some time for us. So, yeah, man, I'm ready to get going. Absolutely, guys. So let's not delay it any longer. We've been waiting, like Jay said, a while to have her on. Uh, she is the founder of Brumley Brands, and you can follow her over there. She also used to work here locally on 1010XL, which is where a lot of you listeners may recognize her from. So, Blythe Brumley, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? And again, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. That, that intro was perfect. I'm going to send you guys uh, a check for all of those nice things you said about me. <laughs> Perfect. As long as it's the mail. That sounds great. That sounds great. <laughs> the USPS will get it to you in no time. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll get it sometime next uh, election period. Probably. <laughs> but yeah, how are you? Uh, thanks for, you know, again, thanks for being here. How has your, you know, your quarantine been? Everything like, is everybody healthy? How, how are you doing? Luckily, everybody is healthy. Uh, it's been, I mean, I speak for everybody when I say it's been a roller coaster of emotions, um, just sort of transitioning from a business perspective, also from just uh, just a normal person fan perspective, not having any sports to watch or digest or even argue with people. So we're sort of just, you know, left to just argue about politics. And that just drives me insane. Nothing makes me check out more from a conversation than that kind of arguing. Uh, so I would much rather get back to debating about, uh, you know, the legitimacy of the Jaguar if they're going to be moving to London, uh, you know, all of those classic arguments that you're so tired of having. Uh, but now you can you can have them again because it looks like, you know, at least right now today that football season is happening. Yeah. As of right now, it seems everything is on track. Of course, college football is just kind of all over the place. You guys see they released a top 25, even though not everyone <laughs> is playing. <laughs> 
Did they do like I, an asterisk for certain teams? I, I thought I read. I was just glancing through Twitter and I was like, oh, just just start football. That just as soon as you start the games, I'm good. Yeah, they took every team into account, even the conferences that have uh, postponed their their fall sports and just I don't know. They they <laughs> you, you can just see the dysfunction in, in college football. So it's it's great. We're not even going to get into that here today but we are we do have a whole bunch of topics that we want to talk to Blythe about before we do that want to make sure that we thank everybody that's had that's gone over to Apple Podcasts and left that five-star review it's one of the best ways you can support the show along with subscribing on Spotify Google Play Stitcher Luminary TuneIn and the aforementioned Apple Podcast you can find us on believe.com and at believe podcast as part of their awesome library and you can find myself at Phil the Filipino F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O Jay is over at sportsgrind underscore Dawn, and you can tweet the podcast at Believe in Jags Pod. So let's get into it here, Blythe. We have a ton of questions for you. Um, as we mentioned, you used to be with 1010XL, I think, and Jay and I have talked about this in the past. And I, I do want to shout out Believe here really quick, because when everything as far as the social injustice stuff started happening, they really empowered all of their hosts to tell their stories, right, Jay? We can, we can speak to that. And, you know, we're seeing this where now we're starting to see more people of color in media and more women and more representation. So talk about, you know, just your journey in journalism and and covering the team and also being a woman in this field that has, you know, in the past been heavily dominated by mostly men. Well, I think for me personally, I didn't I don't know that everybody has a clear cut path to covering sports. And for me, it was always just about that independent model that that speaking from a a blogger perspective, a fan perspective. I started a website called guysgirl.com back in 2007. And that really was the sort of the catalyst that led me to a career in sports. I started out as a blogger. I ran that on the side for years. And then um, I worked at a logistics company as well as my sort of my not sort of it was definitely my full time job and the blog was the side hustle. And I always wrote for the blog with the idea that it would one day become my full time job. Um, Unfortunately, with the logistics company, they closed down after five years. And so that led me in sort of like a, you know, a fork in the road of where I was going to go. And Void Magazine, which is a local publication here in Jacksonville, Florida, put up a notification that they were hiring for a new copy editor and that was just sort of the signal to me that hey this is something that you need to pursue let's use the blog as the resume sent it in and I was hired the next day Uh, a couple months later ended up becoming their editor-in-chief and so that was I think the legitimacy or or the or it gave me the legitimacy of of being seen as other than just a blogger Um, so with that opportunity I was starting to to be able to have the opportunities to work directly with the Jaguars, have, you know, official Jaguars issues and and really be able to to interview people that I had always dreamed of interviewing and always dreamed of talking to. Um, there was one actually the, the funny story was when MJD was still on the team and it was when Shad Khan had just bought the team, just purchased the team. And so we were working on our Jaguars issue at the time. And so we showed up to the stadium and I was going to do my first like in-person interview. I think it was like I was interviewing like a Sanders or something um, like old school Jaguar player, old name that that only true fans will will remember. And I remember waiting there for a Sanders and I was with my photographer, Logan Bowles, who you guys probably all know is like famous, like NFL photographer now. Um, so we were there to work on that story. And 
when MJD walked up behind me, I turned around and just gasped. And I'm still like from like a fan perspective, it was just one of those like pinch myself moments. And the look I gave Logan, like I turned and looked at him with the, you know, deer in a headlights. And he was like, just breathe. You have to treat these guys as normal people. <laughs> and so that was sort of like my first just uh, realization that, hey, this can be a real job for me and for, for really everybody at the magazine. Um, so worked for Void for a couple years. Uh, we did a bunch of Jaguars coverage and just local sports in general, which was a really, uh, it was sort of different than working in like a traditional beat or a traditional journalism standpoint where we're working on like true editorials where it takes, you know, weeks, sometimes months to get these stories done. Um, and so being able to see them come to life from a creative standpoint, seeing them in print magazine was amazing and that was also a sort of a legitimacy to get me into radio because I'd never done radio before and locally when we found out that the 1010XL was going to be starting up an all-female football show they one of the the co-founders of Void reached out to 1010 and was like hey we got the perfect person for you you really need to talk to her not as like as a radio host opportunity but just maybe she would be like a good consultant in that field of what you should be talking talking about on an all-female all radio show. Uh, had lunch with them, the people at 1010, and I hit it off so well with them that, you know, they were going to give me one segment a week to talk on the show, and then one segment a week turned into my very first show with them, and I was on the entire show, and I was on that show for probably four more years after that. So it was a great opportunity. It then led to working on game days. And I always said I would never work on game days just because I speak from the fan perspective. Uh, but there was an opportunity to work for the or co-host a show for the Jags kickoff show, uh, which ends two hours before kickoff. So that was the perfect opportunity for me to uh, be able to work on game days, uh, but not have to sacrifice my fanhood in order to do that. Um, worked on, worked with 1010 for years, was, was incredibly fun, but it got to a point where as a business owner, I needed to take that next level step and I couldn't take that next level step if I still had my foot in the door with another career that required a lot of time and, um, a lot of dedication in order to, to work in that field. And the reason it has a lot of dedication is because I recognize like as a woman in a male dominated industry, you really got to know your stuff. And for like I prepared for this show or I prepare for any other show. I spend hours of research. I want to make sure I come with my A game because I know that whatever I'm talking about on that particular show, I might not need it for that show, but I might need it a month from now. I might need it six months from now. Um, so I just was I was cognizant of that, like as a woman working in the industry, you need you just and really anyone working in the in the industry, you need to come with your A game. And so that's how I treated it. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember the first time that we met at one of the Jacksonville podcast meetups. And Jay, our, and Blythe, I was telling Jay, we need to get him down here for one of those when we can finally get together again. Yeah, and, we're trying to yeah. get those together again. <laughs> so if, if you are if you are listening to this and you are a local podcaster or if you're interested in getting into podcasts, we do a, a meetup at least once a quarter. Of course, those have been on hold, but we definitely implore you to, to come check it out. It's a lot of fun. You get to do a lot of networking. It's great. But I remember the first time, and I and I saw you and you introduced yourself. I was like, is this from ten, the girl from the <laughs> Excel, because I was and I was just like, man, because you know Jay and I, I'm I'm glad you told that story where you're talking about like just the realization of seeing your your words in print, and because I had a similar feeling of just happiness when I saw Jay 
his first thing in USA Today when they did uh, a team by team breakdown. I, I don't know if I know you remember that, Jay, but I remember you sent this. We we went to I went to Publix. I opened up the magazine. I was like, "There's my boy James Johnson in this magazine." <laughs> it was a great moment. <laughs> Yeah, but, like, a lot of the things that you spoke on, like Phil said, like, we can relate to, like, two years ago, I'm at training camp. It's funny you mentioned MJD. Um, Two years, I'm at training camp, and he comes in um, for, you know, he works for NFL Network now, and -hmm. he's talking to all the other writers on the sideline, and he's, like, right there in front of me. I'm like, oh, my God, it's MJD. Like, that's the dude I (laughs) I watched pretty much all day, every day on, you know, every Sunday before I even became a writer and whatnot. And the other thing you mentioned – that uh, we can relate to Logan. Funny story about Logan is we were in Dallas, Texas. I was hoping you were going to tell the story. <laughs> yeah. We were in Dallas, Texas. at um, We were at a bar. And Logan walked up to... For the draft. We were there for the NFL draft. Right, two years ago mm-hmm. when we took Taven Bryant. When we were hoping we would took, take Lamar Jackson. But that's a whole other story for another time. But um, yeah, we were there. Uh, and he walks up to me. He was like, nice hat, man. And he shook my hand. He was like... Uh, nice to meet you. He's like, um, are you from here? And I was like, no, nah, I'm actually from Jacksonville, and um, I'm a Jaguars fan, but I covered them uh, for USA Today and so on and so forth. He's like, oh, really? What site? And I was like, the Jaguars wire. And that's how we met Logan, not knowing that this is the same guy that takes pictures and uh, does photography for the Jacksonville Jaguars until I got back home. And I was like, Logan, that name sounds familiar. And I went to his, uh, <laughs> I went to his account. I was like, we met this guy in Dallas. So uh, shout out to Logan. I don't know if he remembers that moment, but yeah, he did. He walked up on me, Phil, and one of our other friends, um, two of our other friends. And uh, yeah, that that moment was like, dang man, like I didn't know this guy really was the same guy I follow on Instagram that's been taking the Jaguars photos for all of this time. But um, in terms of my question, um, this is a question now I want to ask. I want to get in the habit of asking everybody that we bring on to this podcast because I want to know their perspective. Me and Phil pretty much have pieced it together and figured it out, but I'd still like to hear another journalist's uh, perspective on this. And it's basically when you look at the 2017 Jaguars, right? The question I find myself asking a lot of people is how did they get from that point in 2017, in your opinion, (laughs) Me and Phil, we have our own opinions, and we've heard other opinions, and sources have told us stuff, too, uh, from the outside. But how did they get from that point in 2017 to where they are now as a team that, you know, we were kind of somewhat happy or surprised to see them win six games? Like, in your opinion, or give us your take on that, how did they go from A to basically Z right now? Well, I think with the Jaguars in particular, 2017 2017- it, at the time, it felt like we had finally turned that corner as a franchise, that we were going to be seen as the, the new and upcoming franchise that, that people wanted to come and actually play for, not just get a check and spend a vacation in Florida. So with 2017, at that time, I'm like, this is it. This is I, I specifically remember the Seattle game because it was the nighttime game and it was the where the, the Seattle player, I'm blanking on his name, but he almost went into the stands and the fans were going to fight him. And that type of vibe, that type of mentality, I think was so needed 
for this franchise at that particular time because it felt like, you know, the fans had all bonded together. We had been through so much, you know, just heartbreak and, you know, sort of sports devastation. And and when that moment came, it felt like a turning point in the franchise. And of course, 2017 ended the way it did. But you really felt that next year was Super Bowl or bust. I remember predicting it's Super Bowl or bust for this team. Everything, I, I, I legitimately believed that Blake Bortles had taken a turn for the better, that this defense was solidified. It brought that swagger that the, the, that the city, that the fans all thrived off of. And when it ended as embarrassingly as it did in the 2018 season, I think we had lost seven games in a row at that point. It was just a realization of... Last year was just a fluke. 2017 was just a fluke. It's an anomaly based off of the last 10 years of just mediocre play and not just on the field, but from a front office perspective as well. There are a lot of decisions that this franchise has made that I don't particularly agree with. And I, looking back on them, I don't know why I thought it was a good idea at the time. London being a perfect example. The fans were griping at first about giving up one home game to London, but now with the before, you know, all the COVID stuff hit, then they took away another game. And that's when like the, you know, you're pulling the wool over someone's eyes and you're tr- you're starting to see, is this franchise really on a pathway to leave us? And is it just really that sort of just disorganized mess? Last season was an emotional stretch as well with the whole Jalen Ramsey drama. Uh, we've had y- the Yannick drama in the offseason. Um, we also had the moving the other the ho- other home game to London. That drama was sort of the, the, the nail in the coffin for me as far as being an avid fan, being a season ticket holder for, you know, more than 15 years um, that was the first sign that it was like okay all of these years all of this history and you've been maneuvering this franchise to London this entire time and that's still kind of how I feel I feel like this was a plan all along to move the franchise to London and it didn't really dawn on me until that second game was moved Um, because even the words of Shad Khan you know I I don't want to burden the Jacksonville people with having to support a team where they've tried literally everything else except for winning. And the one season that we do have as winners in 2017, the entire stadium was packed out. So to me, it's just been like week after week excuse after week excuse. And it screams of just disorganization from the organizational level. And then also it reflects on the field level as well. So with the decisions to keep the front office staff and mostly intact um, with a lot of the same people coming back for this season the only reason we still have our home games back quote-unquote home games if they you know allow fans in for the entirety of the season is because of a global pandemic so I think a lot of the intentions were there a lot of the bad decisions are still there I don't know that it gets any better. I really don't. I, 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 I don't know if the pathway is still for this team to, to be taken away from us. So it feels a little, uh, I don't want to say like empty because I still love the team. But in the same regards, it's like I almost feel like I'm distancing myself from them as much as I have in the past because I know it's just, or I don't know it, but I fear that it's just a, a more solid decision that they're just going to take the team away from me anyway. So why keep caring? Which I know is the wrong take to have as a sports fan because you're you're 
you're supposed to be uh, have the eternal optimist attitude and and i do feel a little bit more hope i guess just because i was able to you know listen to a few jaguars podcasts for the first time in a while you know over the past week or so um so hearing you know coverage about the team and the fact that we are we do have all of the home games back this season you know we don't know if we'll be able to go to all of them and you know it's going to be limited capacity but you know it's trying to just get to that level of fanhood where i want to be glass half full again and for the majority of this year it's been you know the glass is half empty so i I feel like i need to get to a a hopeful point but i i just really feel very passionate that 2017 was an anomaly until proven otherwise and jay and i had an opportunity just the other day to go on texans unfiltered which is a a houston texans podcast and shouts out to james we had a a lot of fun and we you know that we talked to him about how just everything in 2017 went right for us, right? Andrew Luck, I believe, was was down. Deshaun Watson was a rookie, and they were still, like, going back and forth between him and whoever that quarterback was. The Titans were still kicking our ass. But uh, <laughs> everything else just seemed to go right for the team. And I, I'm glad you pointed out that Seahawks game because, Jay, we were at that game, and we were rolling, like, 12 deep. I, at the time... I had lived in Dallas, and I flew in to go to this game with with our friends. And, you know, we tailgated. It was a 4 o'clock kick. Mm. That's why I remember it. It was a 4 o'clock kick because we played the Seahawks. And, of course, it went into the night. And, man, the energy in that place was something I will always remember. The only thing that even came close, um, that came somewhat close, was I was at the 99 AFC Championship Mm. game. In the beginning of the game, we were very excited. (laughs) But by the end, it was very, very somber. But that that moment, the energy in the crowd and in the state was something I've honestly have felt very, very few times. And yeah, just it's to see where we are now is it's it sucks. Yeah, like I agree with you, Blythe, in terms of, um, you know, 2017 after 2017, it was like Super Bowl or bus type of deal. But then at the same time, for me, I can't speak for everybody else. I took mental notes that season and there were. And I, I think people missed it because they were having such such success. But there were signs of turmoil in the 2017 season. And when they resurfaced, I was like, oh, that makes all the sense in the world. You you look at the season, uh, they, they lacked discipline. They were terrible with penalties. I mean, it was amazing that they were able to get where they were because they had penalties left and right that year. Um, there were fights, you know, like in terms of. Uh, I can remember, I think it was Malik Jackson tried to fight somebody in the Cardinals game after the game or whatever the case may be. So it was signs of those types of things that I saw. But that again, that happened after the game. Thank God it didn't happen during the game. But hmm. it was that, the penalties. And then, you know, in 2017, those things resurfaced. And it's like, oh, it makes sense now. It made, Those things were always there, but they were so talented to the point where basically – it didn't surface, and, and then, like Phil said, they had other things going their way, too. And this is not to discredit them, because I enjoyed that season, loved it. But, like Phil said, also, you know, when Andrew Luck is out of the division, and then Deshaun Watson, actually, Phil, Deshaun Watson got um injured halfway through that season. Remember, he tore his ACL. But, um, you know, they when he was there, they he was in and out of the lineup, I guess. Well, no, he wasn't, actually. Uh, they let him start after facing, I think that was us. And he started like four or five games. I was gonna. Didn't he get hurt in the in the game against? It was the first, one of the first away games of that season, I believe. And we blew them out with Deshaun that was, Watson. That was the Saxonville game. That was yeah, the first game 
Um, it was what was it, double digit sacks that game or ten. something it like was that. Ten sacks. Yep. So that was like the the because I remember like uh, I remember most of it because we played a game where we would take a shot for every score, <laughs> and when we blew them out with all these defensive scores, we were we were feeling very good towards the end of that game. <laughs> I remember that game because living in Dallas, I re- had refused to buy NFL Sunday ticket because it was so expensive. Mm-hmm. And then the team was good. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> God. That's how it's going <laughs> like to go. $70 a month or something like that for NFL Sunday. It's ridiculous. I was like, well, I guess here I am. <laughs> it's like, because I, I don't always want to go out and watch the game. I want to watch it from home. And right. So, yeah. But, yeah, that was, yeah, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, I do remember him getting hurt. And, and Jay, to, to point out what you're talking about, look no further than, in that year than the Cardinals game and the 49ers game. Those are exactly when those issues reared their ugly head, hmm. and they lost to teams that they were probably better than. Yeah, I, I can remember a tweet I put out um, during that game. And I think, now that I think about it, Blythe and you actually may have liked that tweet. But um, I can recall uh, Aaron Colvin and um, Malik Jackson fussing on the sidelines in that 49ers game. And I don't know what it was they were fussing about, but it looks like Malik Jackson was getting on Aaron Colvin's case. And then at the end of the game, Malik Jackson headbutts somebody on the 49ers team. We get a flag, and basically they were able to retain possession for the rest of the game. And basically that was kind of the play that kind of, mm. if you will, I mean, they had shot themselves in the foot before that, but... That was a play that kind of killed any chance that the Jaguars would have of coming back. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, how is, you know, and, and you know, I like Malik Jackson, but how is he going to get on to Aaron Colvin in the beginning of the game and make such a crucial mistake like that at the end of the game? And everybody's like, yeah, that's crazy. Like, but yeah, I feel like you're right, man. It was just turmoil all in that season. But like, if you weren't taking a mental note of it or, you know what I'm saying? And, and that was easy to miss it, you know, because the Jaguars have lost so much. You know, it, it's so it's easy to get caught up in the winning. And I, but still, you know, I guess like as a former like high school football player, it was just stuff that I saw like that I took notes of. But at the same time, like I just put it in the back of my mind and like Blythe and like you the next year, I was like, yeah, it's Super Bowl or bust. And the things that I put in the back of my mind and took notes of ended up coming to the forefront. And that's what ended up ruining the next two seasons and so on and so forth. Story of the Jaguars. Yeah. So let's. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, let's move on here. So we want to talk another thing that Jay and I love to talk about whenever we have guests on. We talked about this when we had my my other co-host on the Wait For a Pod, uh, Eric, on. We talk about the stadium. Now, it may not come into too much. It may not be that big of a deal this year, right? We already talked about it. We don't even know if we're going to be able to go to the games. And you've already talked about, is there some, has there been this grand scheme this whole time to just move the team overseas? What do you think they need to do where they need to address the stadium reser- uh, renovations because they need to happen. Something needs to be fixed. And also what, you know, how do you think that plays into keeping the team here and also maybe possibly at least getting one of those games back from London? Well, I hope that all the games are now back for good from London. I, I, I from just a sports like international travel, I don't know that it's going to happen in the next year. I, I, who knows? When money is involved and the NFL knows, or we all know that the NFL is, is definitely, it's in their best interest to expand the game to other markets. And I totally get that. Um, but from the Jacksonville perspective, I just think that 
it needs to be more of a local focus. It needs to be more of a local feel. And I think it's very challenging for, you know, it, especially from just like a, a, a Shad Khan is very grandiose. And on one side, that's really good for Jacksonville because he can force this city and pull them into sort of the, the, the next generation as far as city living is concerned. Um, but with that said, what we're seeing now with COVID, it, people are moving away from the cities. Um, they're, they're not going out as much. It's going to take them a while to be comfortable and going out to places like a football game, to go back into a crowded restaurant, um, to travel again. And that is sort of the ethos of what Lot J was supposed to be about. It was supposed to be an entertainment district uh, he wanted to bring a you know a four seasons and uh, you know, a lot of other places a lot of other I guess aspects of entertainment that just don't feel like Jacksonville and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but there are a lot of really good just cultural hot spots within the Jacksonville community that I think the Jaguars have been very slow to introduce I have seen pictures of you know new murals that are going up within the stadium which is fantastic to see they're getting local artists involved with that, um, which I love. But when it comes to the Lot J in particular, we have seen a lot of renderings throughout the years, and none of them really look or feel like Jacksonville. And I don't know that Jacksonville, as a, a big, small town, could ever even financially afford, you know, six or seven high rises right on the Riverwalk. It's a grand vision and one that I admire even having the fortitude to come up with that vision. I just don't think it's very realistic. So I think the latest reports were that. That they're going to be that the the Shad Khan Shad Khan's team, I think it's flying iguanas or something like that. Like not flying iguana, that's a restaurant here in town. But like iguana investments or something is the name of his investment company um, that was responsible for for coming up with the plans for a lot. Jay, they have said that they still have interest, but it's going to be scaled down some. So I just hope that if those plans do come to fruition that it's an opportunity to explore the Jacksonville culture, um, maybe like the, you know, the, the brewery scene, the, the a beer and garden scene um, uh, it, involving a lot of local artists uh, from, a from a music perspective to just plain art perspective, um, even like a lot of the local eateries. I would just hope that a lot of those things are brought back to the stadium because there was a point in at Everbank or, or not Everbank, TIAA Bank field that it was a situation where they had a lot of local restaurants that were involved and 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 had space within the stadium and so it really felt like they were putting a spotlight on the local and that has waned in you know previous years i don't know what happens if they try to get a new stadium where would they play i they would have to demolish their where would they build a new stadium if not for just demolishing the one that's currently there and that also worries me yeah we've talked about I, that i mean too. where have they mentioned anywhere would they they would play i mean maybe orlando uh, my biggest fear is that they would use it as an excuse to to go to london and just try out that experiment for a season and play there um that would be my biggest Sphere, but I just don't know how they would manage a new stadium. I think that they've done fabulous with adding the additions onto the stadium, um, the scoreboards, Daly's Place. Uh, these were all things that Shad Khan controlled and, and could finance and get done very quickly, whereas 
starting to see that, you know, with other purchases, um, uh, other things that he wants to do within the city are have been a little bit limited because he doesn't control the full process. So Laura Street Trio, uh, Met Park even, and, and Lot J to an extent, if he doesn't control the whole app or the whole, I guess, process of the construction bidding, then it doesn't get done. But in other areas where he does control that with the scoreboards, with Daly's Place, he's gotten those projects done very quickly and they've been a great addition to the community um i hope that that's the same case for a football stadium i mean obviously i think a lot of fans who go to games they want a roof they want some kind of air conditioning because those september games are not fun especially they're not fun to get a sunburn and another loss uh that's been the case for you know the past few years september special outside of well, except for the Patriots game. We did beat them in September in 2018. <laughs> it was like the highlight of that season. 2-0. and and we <laughs> Our revenge game. 2-0, and and then everything celebrated. Well, we celebrated in the streets as if we had just, you know, that, that was our revenge game for the AFC Championship. Um, but I, I have high hopes for the area. I, my biggest concerns, though, is that where is the team going to play uh, with a, a, stadium, a new stadium construction are there additions that they can still make to the stadium without having to do a complete overhaul? Because I do think it's still a nice stadium. The, the club seat area is great. The, the end zone areas are great. I don't want to see all that stuff go away. But at the same time, I do realize we are what the us in Buffalo have the oldest stadiums in the league. So I know it's coming sooner rather than later. I just don't know what that path looks like yet. And I've been to Buffalo, and I've been to New Era Field, and I've talked about this on that podcast. They've got bleachers in that stadium, you guys. So before you <laughs> complain too much, they've, they've got and, – and this is something we've also talked about. The people in Buffalo, the, the taxpayer, they don't want a new stadium out in Buffalo. They're completely happy with, with New Era. I do want to – let me pose this question to both of you because it just dawned on me. And we've talked about, Jay, how they would obviously have to build with Daly's Place still intact, so they have to find a way to still do it. They're not going to demolish Daly's Place. They just built it. Wouldn't they also have to find a way to build it by not having to tear down the scoreboards? They're not going to redo that, right? Uh, well, I'll say this. The scoreboards probably can be, like, I'm not an engineer, even though I did take, like, engineering classes in uh, high school. But the scoreboards probably could be craned down, if you will, quote, unquote. And just you, when you make a new stadium, you could probably put them back in that new state or a renovated stadium. Taken down like piece by piece is what you're saying? Right. Or just take the whole scoreboard. I think the whole top scoreboard, the panel, the LCD or whatever you want to call it, I think that comes off like as a whole because they had to get it shipped like that, if I can recall. But I can't remember exactly, but I think they got that whole part shipped. And then, of course, you have the parts that hold it up. Of course, they're individual parts, but... Yeah, I think that's what they would have to do in terms of that. And then, like, in, in terms of, like, what you and Blythe were saying for, in the case of a new stadium, I don't think they would go down that road to get a new stadium because, as Blythe pointed out, I don't think uh, the city of Jacksonville w could afford it or the taxpayers would want to pay for a new stadium. I think what they would do is go along the lines of the, um, like, what Miami did, like me and you mentioned in the other podcast, Phil, is they would construct, like, things in phases in the um during each off season and then i think for miami it took like three off seasons for them to completely get everything done but they never had to shut the stadium down they would just stop construction when the football season began so i think that's what jacksonville would do because not only is it cheaper uh, but it prevents them from having to go somewhere else but if they had to go somewhere else 
I would assume like like Blythe said, um, Orlando, but I think even more so a more realistic destination if they wanted a new stadium and they had to move would be probably Dope Campbell, which is in um Florida, FSU. I mean, so I mean, I, it's been because it's been done in the the past is what I'm saying. You've seen um, I think it was the Vikings. They played at Minnesota for what two three years. Uh, Minnesota University for two, three years because um, their stadium was knocked down basically and demolished and they were getting a new one built. So if it came to that, I think like Tallahassee might be more realistic than Orlando. Uh, but, you know, that's just me spitballing and everything. But, um, yeah, I do think like renovations is probably the way to go because, I mean, you would much rather pay if you're a city $400 million, $500 million than uh, whatever it costs to build stadiums these days, which is like a billion, two billion, three At billion. Least. Yeah, like, and then the, you got the ridiculous stadium they just built in California, which is just absurd. Like, nobody and even, Vegas. Yeah, mm-hmm. nobody, even the state of California, needs to be paying for a five billion dollar stadium. That's absurd, you know. So, like, especially re- to for billionaires. Exactly. Like, why are you asking us for the money? Like, your net worth is. Shot Khan's last time I checked was eight, nine, something like that, his net worth. So that's another key to like, if they do have renovations, like how, and I want to know your take on this, like on this blight, you know, how much should he be allowed to dig in the taxpayers' pockets? I mean, I, you, me and Phil will probably say $0, but we know that's not going to be the case. But, you know, like in your opinion, like what you think would be acceptable in terms of a stadium renovation price on the fans' behalf? Did somebody say playoffs? Listen, the NBA, MLB, and NHL are in full swing right now, and our partners over at Bet Online have you covered. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but my Dallas Mavericks are doing work over there against the Los Angeles Clippers. They got some Luka Magic going on, so I'm going to head over to Bet Online and throw some money over on my Mavs. So take full advantage of sports being back and get into the action with hundreds of odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. And there's always the online casino as well, it never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and sign up and receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I think it would have to be a very small investment from a a taxpayer perspective. I I don't have a problem from a taxpayer perspective with a small amount of the the project funding coming from taxpayers. But to my earlier point, it would have to, I, I think the caveat would have to be, you have to include local businesses in that. It's never been more important to support local businesses than it is now. It's also never been a worse time to ask tax taxpayers to foot the bill for an expensive stadium, even upgrades, renovations, whatever they want to do to it, that should be on the billionaire owner's responsibility to provide. I think it's going to be a very tough ask unless the only unless you incorporate some local business leaders um, from a variety of sectors of town, not just from, you know, your pals and, you know, the local government office, which I mean, you do have to make those networking and make those connections as well. But I think the only way that it would be acceptable, in my opinion, to take tax taxpayer money for that project is if you're including local businesses in, in, in restaurants and, and anything local, it, that's what I'm for as far as providing for the Lot J development, the stadium renovations. It would really have to be a local effort. If you want to have the Four Seasons come into town and you want to have a glorified Chili's as part of the entertainment district, then I think you should foot the entire bill. That That's just personally how I feel about it. 
I would say my final note for the the Lot J expansion and if taxpayers should be funding any part of the renovations is that it should absolutely, after COVID, we've sort of been taught that you're going to make a more conscious effort of where you spend your time and where you spend your money. And that greatly affects sports because sports has never really had something that has competed for the consumer's attention and when we didn't have sports for so long it really forced a lot of consumers to find other entertainment options so now going into this football season if you are expecting the i guess the the bravado of the nfl that fans are just going to fall all over themselves to in order to keep a team in in town in order to to keep them still improving i think that that responsibility now falls solely on the organization solely on the franchise and how you run your operation and then fans are now going to have an educated decision on where to spend their time their money and their attention and if you're not up to par then they're going to spend their attention and their time elsewhere and I think that that's more than fair that the NFL the one of the richest sports globally and especially you know the most popular sport here in the U.S. it's one of those things that you don't have the it I would call out the audacity of a billionaire owner to ask for a new stadium in a market that you know can't afford it, but would support you whether you win, really, I mean, whether you win or lose, because they've been supporting you for your entire tenure as an owner. You've had one winning season during that entire time. It's. I really think that he needs to clean up his own house before he starts asking other houses to come in and contribute. So, yeah, Blythe, um, some interesting points you brought up. Um, it, and when you look at Lot J and what they want to build with it, uh, you know, a key part of it, aside from the hotels and the high-rise buildings, and, you know, the, I think they even want to do residential area, uh, is they want a live venue there, which basically, you know, these are kind of around the America, if you will. It's one in Philly, one in Atlanta, uh, one in Texas, and so on and so forth. And what it is basically is an indoor version of the landing, if you will, uh, an indoor version of uh, accumulation of restaurants and bars, if you will. Uh, and I think, you know, they could use that live venue and turn it into something what you were saying, like along the lines of what you were saying, bringing local businesses in there and bringing local breweries and restaurants and so on and so forth. So I think like if they focus on that part of the equation first and not worry about the other stuff, the the residential, the high rise buildings, the hotels, the four season stuff, start there. And you know, that could be a way that shot Khan could kind of reach uh, that, that medium with the fans, if you will, as well. And, and like I was saying before, they also put like, just looking at the research, they also put CBS bars in these things like ESPN bars, NBC sports bars, you know, maybe that's a way that he can connect with the fans, too, because, like, I think that's something or a project that he can not only use for the sake of the Jacksonville Jaguars and broadcasting for them, but he could share that studio with the community on weekdays when it's not being used by, you know, the Jaguars or 1010XL and so on and so forth. So, you know, I think that's another way that he can kind of, you know, connect with the fans and uh, start trying to build that trust with the fans because as you said you know there is some skepticism there and rightfully so me and Phil have it as well you know in, in certain uh, parts of what they've done but uh, yeah I think Lot J key hinges on that part of the ve venue being built first and then going from there 
And to, to piggyback off of that, it, when people, I, I know that a lot of these additions are, are also meant to attract away fans. And that's a, a great thing for the economy, for, for people to come into the city, to spend money, to spend their time. And when people travel, they want to experience the local culture that's around the area. They want to try the local brew. They want to try the local seafood. They, they want to be able to take that story back with them and tell more people about the community. And if you don't have those key aspects of the community culture within your entertainment complex where you're trying to recruit not just football and sports fans, but you're really trying to recruit like top entertainment talent as well to the Daly's Place area and, and just to sort of you know, piggyback off of all of that momentum, you really need to focus on having some local culture that's in play as well. So let me ask you this, Blythe, because I know you are an avid visitor of both the Disney parks. I'm not sure about Universal, but what I'm hearing from you is it's very important for this to, of course, be locally based as far as Lot J goes. And we, what I'm hearing is we don't want some kind of version of City Walk or a Disney Springs, right? Is that, is that what we don't want? I would say it's more of I don't want a stepsister to the town center. Like that right, just exactly. is, it's a, and for those who are not from Jacksonville, the town center is the one place in Jacksonville that really the more affluent people shop and it's all chains in, you know, I, I understand chains employ a lot of locals as well, but it, it just doesn't have the the cultural vibe of say Riverside or the beaches or Springfield. Um, a lot of these places where the locals really are, are shine as far as what they bring to the food scene, to the, the, the drinking scene, to uh, just even the arts. And, and that's to me where it should be. I, I think if you go to a universal, you go to Disney, you you expect that, you know, sort of town center vibe where it's a lot of chains and it's a lot of the bigger restaurants. Um, but I would say to Disney's credit that, you know, pre-pandemic, they were really, really hyper focused on, say, uh, for example, a lot of the Italian restaurants at Disney Springs, they employ Italians from Italy. They they set them up on work visas. They have, you know, uh, living situations established for them so that they can all live together in a community and then work within the, you know, the, the I guess the, the, the theme parks itself. Um, Pre-pandemic at Epcot, the, every single person that worked in each of their respective countries at Epcot were from that country. It was a requirement. I think they've had to lift that requirement, you know, after pandemic, just because of staffing issues and also travel visa issues. Um, but that to me, like they went the extra mile in that regard. And I want Jacksonville and Shot Khan and, you know, the rich affluent people of Jacksonville in order to take that next step and promote and prop up the local culture that's here. So I think that that is, is extremely important important in, in establishing a long-term play whenever you're talking about investing in a community. I think that that's super important to invest in the people who are already investing their time and energy into each of the cultural aspects of the town. Also, you're welcome, Blythe. I just wanted to give you an alley-oop to talk about Disney. So you're very welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I took it. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I know we have uh, uh, the next topic we're going to talk about here is uh, uh, one that I think we all have some pretty strong feelings about. Yeah, so Blythum, I know like a lot of people, like Phil said, like a lot of people wonder about this, but I want to know like we've heard what you how you feel about Shotcon a little bit as an owner and the businessman Shotcon, but in terms of the front office 
and the outlook on what they have and the stepping stones they put together in terms of the draft and so on and so forth. What do you feel about the outlook of the team in general in terms of the young talent they have, as well as, you know, Shad Khan and Tony Khan and Dave Caldwell uh, kind of as, as front office figures, if you will? Because me and Phil, have we talked about this a lot. And one thing I can say is that there is hope with Dave Caldwell there, as crazy as that sounds, because he's messed up so much. Uh, because there, you know, you can tell when he goes about his business in terms of scouting that he can scout. That's clear. Yeah, he missed on Blake Bortles. Yeah, he kept Blake Bortles around too long. But even when, uh, for for example, when we had on Daniel Jeremiah a few weeks ago from NFL Network, the first thing he says is, oh, yeah, Dave can scout. I'm not worried about taking that job in Jacksonville because Dave can actually scout. He's had some misses in the first round, of course, uh, but – in terms of you look at what he's got in the second, third, and fourth round, he has built some nice pieces there. So I would like to know your take in terms of a perspective on the team's outlook, future, and the front office. With with respect to Dave Caldwell in particular, I think it was one of those situations where if you take a step back, he was the guy who almost had too much responsibility during the Gus Bradley era. And it was almost too, I, I felt like at the time it was almost too much put on his shoulders because at that time you had a first time head coach, you had a first time GM, you had a first time NFL owner. And so it was a lot of firsts for an organization that needed some leadership. Um, and I feel like Dave Caldwell in particular, that yes, he's had some hits and he's had definitely had some misses, um, but he's also secured a lot of value via trades as well. I mean, he got a trade for, or he got a pick for Blaine Gabbard, for God's sakes. Like he's set up these, he's set up the team, I think, as to the best of his ability. And then he was sort of handcuffed by Tom Coughlin coming in and is seizing control. And, and that to me just threw a wrench in the whole organizational structure that I, I, I'm not ready to, I can see the argument of saying you need to just clean house and have a clean slate because I, I I do understand that side of the argument. But on the flip side, Dave Caldwell now has the opportunity. He's playing with house money and he wants to succeed. He probably wants to get that next job. And this season could be an opportunity to a either secure his future here in Jacksonville or secure a new job. Um, so I, I'm still curious to see how his picks are going to come to fruition if they do. Um, with respect to the play on the field, though, I just honestly, I have no idea what to expect from this team. It's it's one of the youngest teams in the league. Uh, yes, you have some bright spots on offense. Yes, you have some bright spots on, on defense. Um, it's an incredibly young team. And I guess my biggest question mark would be the leadership. Who is who is going to be that veteran leadership? We don't have Clayus Campbell anymore. Uh, Marseille, uh, Darius is gone. Um, Yannick is trying to leave. Um, but I think that, in a sense, it's almost better for this year compared to last year because we had all the drama from last year. You know, the Jalen drama was a huge distraction. And Yannick has been a huge distraction. And COVID has been a huge distraction. So I think like from almost like a philosophical standpoint, like this whole franchise is been really like gone through the ringer since the beginning of this year. So maybe football is the best antidote to 
all of that drama. Maybe football is what they needed to get refocused, to 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 get readjusted. And and maybe this is the season that, you know, especially in a COVID season, maybe this is the year that, you know, the Jaguars come out of nowhere and and win 10 games. It's entirely possible it happened in 2017 when nobody else was expecting it. So that very well happened. It could happen this season as well. Uh, but I've learned a long time ago to sort of take my biases out of, you know, the situation where I'm a hopeful fan. And that's the beautiful thing about sports is that you want to be hopeful and the off season is filled with hope, but uh, Vegas is telling me that, you know, we're only going to win five or six games. So I think that that's probably closer to reality. Um, I'm hoping for the best. I, I mean, Minshew is, is everything that you want in a quarterback as far as his work ethic off the field, the way he gels with guys on the field. Um, the, the, you know, the wide receiver core has been beefed up. We got, you know, the, the, tough hit with the tight end Josh Oliver going down what was it last week I believe um so it's one of those situations where we're gonna get we're gonna get guys injured we're gonna get guys on the COVID list how long can we keep them healthy and how long can we keep them focused on football but with all that said I think that with going through all of COVID I think that these guys want nothing else but to focus on football it uh it hurts that you when you mentioned the Josh Oliver thing because about a month ago when we had Eric on we made it a 2020 hot takes episode. And my hot take was that Josh Oliver was going to lead the team in touchdown catches. And now, ah, so it's now I, it is my fault <laughs> because Jay and I have talked about this. He didn't have any injury history in college and now he just can't get on the field. So yes, I apologize. It's definitely God. your fault. Definitely my fault. So I, I apologize. And now I have to come up with a new hot take because Jay has granted me a redo. But uh, yeah, I was... I saw that news. It was uh, as far as leadership. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I think we're definitely the, the team's definitely going to look to guys like Joe Schobert, who we just brought in, who I think is is going to be great. You look at guys like a Leonard Fournette, who who knows what his future is going to be here. I'm, I don't. Jay and I have talked about how we don't think he's going to be back, but who knows? And also, Dewan Smoot, a guy like Dewan Smoot, has gotten a lot of a lot of high praise. Guys who have been here for a while. So yeah, Jay, I guess I'll pass that over to you. So who you know? What do you think as far as who are the leaders on this team going to be? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Joe Schobert, for sure, because, you know, a lot of people take from it, oh, he came from Cleveland and so on and so forth. But, I mean, he's even said it himself, part of the conversation that they had with him in free agency when they brought him over was, like, basically in a roundabout way, what do you offer as a leader as well? We've done our film work on you. We know what you are capable of as a, as a player, but, you know, we need you as a leader. And, you know, he said a lot of the right things and it matched what they thought of him as a leader basically is what this is all about. So, you know, that's probably a big reason of why they brought him in the, into the equation um, as well as his, as well as his place. So I think Schobert will definitely be a guy. Josh Allen is um, despite him being so young, he's miles ahead in terms of maturity. And I believe it's because Josh Allen is also a young father as well. So off the field, He's he's matured a little bit faster than your average 22, 23 year old should have at that point. You can see him taking Kalevon Chase on under his wing, uh, so on and so forth. So I think, you know, those are some guys on offense. Uh, definitely Brandon Linder. He's been a team captain for many, many years. Uh, you know, a little bit quiet, you know, according to the media. But uh, he's a guy that people look at. And he, he was kind of a leader like me when I played high school football. You look at him. They lead by example. They don't say a lot, but you, when you see this person doing this, like, oh, yeah, I got to live up to that expectation type of deal. So I think Brandon Leonard probably will hold it down 
on um, offense. And like you said, maybe Leonard Fournette, Gardner Minshew, uh, Chris Conley. You know, like we've seen what he can do in terms of off the field as well. Like a very, very, very um, well-rounded guy on and off the field um, in terms of especially, you know, what he was, you know, his communication with the, the community and so on and so forth. So, you know, he can communicate to a team well as well. So, uh, yeah, that's those are the guys on both sides of the ball that I see uh, leading this team. And in terms of what Blythe said, um, I can wholeheartedly agree with you 100%. In terms of Dave Caldwell, them throwing a wrench in Dave Caldwell's career, because one thing I always say, and this is a reason I kind of cut Dave Caldwell some slack, he was one of the youngest GMs in football when they brought him in. So not only was he dealing with what you said, a first-year owner, a first-year head coach, he's being a first-year GM. He's one of the youngest GMs in the league at the time. So that you know, a lot of people don't understand how difficult that is. And I think Shad Khan, uh, I guess we could say this is Shad Khan's doing through a wrench into his career by bringing Tom Coughlin into the equation and breaking up what he had. While, yeah, Blake Bortles was an issue and then so on and so forth, it was some things that Tom Coughlin threw a wrench in as well that Dave Caldwell had made progress on, you know. So I think uh, one one of the things that just immediately comes to mind is losing Allen Robinson. I think if mm-hmm. if we're looking at a just a Dave Caldwell front office minus Tom Coughlin, they retain Allen Robinson somehow. You know, he doesn't get away. He's not. But that's my personal opinion. That's nothing like that I have an insider source on. But I think, you know, they go and be above and beyond to keep a guy like him and some of the other guys they've, they've lost in the past and so on and so forth. And another thing, like you said, he the guy traded Blaine Gabbert for crying out loud. And if that mm-hmm. wasn't like if that wasn't mm-hmm. enough, he's continued to do this throughout his career. And the most notable one this year was trading Nick Foles. Who thought he could get that contract? Mm-hmm off of his hands me and phil did but you know and maybe you did because you know you're a journalist but your everyday average fan thought we were crazy like no nah, there's no way he can get that contract off his hands i'm, I'm like watch watch <laughs> nick Foles is not a good quarterback and that's a lot of money to be paying him and dave Caldwell, if he has to bend backwards and and snap his neck to get that off of his his you know his books he will and which he did and he got what a fourth round pick and we flipped that into what shaq quarterman or or somebody, uh, they had three fourth-round picks. I forget which one that was, but it might have been Shaq Quarterman. So, you know, he's a guy I'm, I'm eager to see what the future holds for him. So I, I think, like, they have to win. In my opinion, me and Phil have talked about this. I think they got to win, like, seven games for him to keep his job. Yeah. Because if they win six, like, Shaq, what can Shaq Khan say uh, for them matching the same record they had last season uh, to excuse keeping him? You know, like, so it has to be, like, seven or more wins, of course. Like, at least seven, you can make a case that, like, hey, we're making progress. COVID got in the way. We still got right. – we still won an extra game. You know, you can make that case. But if they win six games, nobody's trying to hear that because Dave Caldwell, you know, who I'm – you know, I'm actually defending here. Uh, but Dave Caldwell's been here eight, nine years. Nobody's trying to hear that at that point. Nobody wants to see another six-win season. So – uh, yeah, man, that's that's where I'm at on it. So, Phil, I guess I'll let you take that last question. Yeah, we'll wrap up here shortly, you guys. And, uh, you know, just want to talk. We, we already talked about a little bit on the outlook. So we just want to wrap up here with you, Blythe, again. Thank you so much. And we're going to give you this opportunity again uh, to plug everywhere we can find you because you're so busy, which is why <laughs> we were so excited to get you on and fit into the schedule. Uh, but Let's talk about the, I mean, the main topic here that everyone wants to know about here in Jacksonville, and I'm throwing a little bit of a wrench in here, but what do you think, A, 
um, as far as the the ceiling is for the team. But also, we got a hell of a draft class coming up in terms of quarterbacks. You know, there's Trevor Lawrence, there's Justin Fields, there's some other guys that we've talked about. And some people, even though it seems like Gardner Minshew is, of course, the talk of the town, the bell of the ball, everything that you want to say, there is a portion of the fan base that is ready to go forward with one of those big name guys. So just as a fan, from your perspective, what do you think we need to see out of Minshew to be like, all right, let's go forward with him. I think better decision making. Uh, I think the biggest complaint on him was, you know, feeling that pressure, feeling that rush when it didn't exist. Um, I, I think that those are the the two biggest aspects when it comes to Minshew. Because, like I said earlier, he he has all the tangible stuff that you want to see in a leader and 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 somebody who is a leader of men within the locker room itself. So he has those aspects to him, and he's doing everything right in the off season. He's not like uh, you know some quarterbacks in the past that you hear frequenting you know the beach bars and and things like that he hasn't who could you be talking about (laughs) just gonna gonna skip over that question but it's one of those situations where when he first got to town I thought that he was going to be a a Blake 2.0 and he's proven to be the guy that wants to study that would rather be in a film room than than out other places he is he's he feels like he's obsessed with football and that's exactly what you want out of your quarterback. Um, I think he's earned the right to compete, but with that said, I am not on the argument of that. We should just tank the entire season. Uh, It's incredibly difficult to tank uh, because players are, are not playing for a franchise. They're playing for themselves. And so for me, I think that it, it would be incredibly difficult to try to plan to play so poorly that then you can take one of these top guys in the draft because you're not only setting your season up for failure, but you're also setting your franchise up as losing is acceptable. And for far too long, this franchise has been, uh, they have been willing to settle for for being mediocre and for, for not wanting to excel to that next level. And I think that that has to be a mindset within the franchise. It has to be a mindset with everybody on and off the field. And once you put into that mindset of, hey, we're going to tank for you know a D- Trevor Lawrence it's one of those things where it's like no that, that none of these players on this team are going to be willingly buying into that philosophy and then you're sending out a message to the rest of the league that hey this team will tank if they if they can get a good player and i just don't think that that's historically a good message to send any other franchise that we've seen that has tried that approach they've dealt with that loser mentality for years and if anything we need to get away from that loser mentality we need to win the game of inches and and i hope that that is what we see out of this squad uh, this season and and in the future because it really is there's no excuses this year you can't blame Tom Coughlin you can't blame you know being a rookie GM or a rookie head coach Um, you can't blame anything else it's it's this season is where you're going to prove it and and it's either put up or shut up I also want to make another comment on Gardner Minshew's work ethic over the offseason boy swole he got he he got swole (laughs) (laughs) he got them thighs (laughs) yeah he I don't know like he was on some kind of like straight uh, I don't know, some kind of plan down there in Ocala. I think that's where he went to work out, and he came yoked, man. I don't know what – he spent a lot of time in Gold's Gym or whatever despite it being a pandemic. But, uh, yeah, I mean, but like, I think, like, just to piggyback off of what you said, I think for me, 
uh, what you look for in, in Gardner Minshew this year to say he's the guy heading forward. Uh, Jim Nagy said this once, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing in a roundabout way of what he said. And for those who don't know Jim Nagy, he's the like lead of the Super Bowl, basically, or the Senior Bowl, excuse me, in Mobile, Alabama. But when he was in the front office with, uh, I forget which team he was in the front office with. He was a general manager, but uh, or a scout. But the one thing they looked at is was whether or not that quarterback was leading them to victories or whether or not that quarterback was hindering them from victories. And I think like, you know, we, a classic case of that is Blake Bortles. Okay. You needed, it was times where you needed the defense to play lights out for us to win the game. Mm-hmm. That's a telling sign, you know, like, so it was times where we Gardner Minshew to his credit, you know, he kept them in games last year. Now it was some games they got blew out too, but he actually like, we're not used to seeing a quarterback that can keep us in games it's you know oh we got to get to a fast start the defense has to cradle this lead you know that's what we grew accustomed to with Blake Bortles with with Gardner Minshew you saw this trait where it's like dang man this kid actually keeping us in this and it's it's like you're looking at the other side of the ball now if the defense did x y and z we might have won that game it wasn't his fault so I think that's a, a telling sign of him uh for for me in terms of where he needs to rank in terms of a quarterback for me to like give him that okay and say not take Trevor Lawrence or whatever the case may be is I've told Phil this he has to be approximately a top 12 quarterback approximately because that that's right about that range of where what fits that description of what I said with Jim Nagy where a quarterback isn't hindering you uh, and he's propelling you to wins and he's not the issue it's about a top 12 quarterback so we'll see if you know that's the case I think at the end of the season is where we'll, we'll know what we got because as I told Phil, we played four of the top like ten defenses at the end of the season. It's Pittsburgh, uh, the Vikings, the Ravens. That's where I'm going to be watching Gardner Minshew the most. Because, well, of course, we health going to play into that as well. Hopefully, they're healthy. If they are predominantly healthy at that point, if Gardner Minshew can put together some good games and beat some of those teams, at least two or three of those teams, that would be convincing. Otherwise, you know, you have to wonder, like, should they take a quarterback, so on and so forth. Another, like, thing to put into that equation, too, that might force the Jaguars' hand that nobody's looking at is that Rams pick. If you're picking – and I'm not saying the Rams are – nobody's predicting the Rams to go, uh, like, winless or, you know, three wins or whatever the case may be, have a low win projection. But, hypothetically, anything can happen this season with COVID. Let's say the Rams do register a top five to a top three pick. With that, you have to definitely consider a, a talent like Trevor Lawrence because, you know, he's just a rare breed. He's like, you know, some people have said he's the best quarterback to enter the draft since Andrew Luck. So if you're that close to the top of the draft order because of the Rams mistakenly, you know what I'm saying, because of Jalen Ramsey, thank, uh, thank you for that pick, I guess you could say. But that's where I'm at on it. Like you have to consider it if you get in the top five, and Gardner Minshew is definitely not a top 12 guy, you got to look into that or maybe trading up and getting number one or two or whatever the case may be. Uh, and, of course, what will play into that is who is the GM, of course. So we don't know. Mm-hmm. If it's a new GM, they definitely probably will trade up if that's the case. But if it's Dave Caldwell still, he probably will just settle on Minshew. But, you know, that's kind of my opinion on it. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I, I think the the I don't want to say like the worst characteristic because he was loyal to Blake and he sh- and and a lot of fans believed in Blake, especially after that 2017 season. Uh, but it, it, I think 
Dave has almost like a, a, a stubbornness to stick with his picks a little too long. I, I would say that that's probably my biggest complaint on him. But I mean, staying loyal in a, a game like this is is valued, and I think it should be. But in the flip side of it, if you know he wants to stay loyal to Gardner Minshew and we have a terrible season, uh, having a, a top five draft pick would be an incredible offer to to give the opportunity to a new GM that would come in, that they would be able to essentially start fresh and not have to work with, you know, the, a lot of the players from, you know, or a lot of the high profile players that a former GM has drafted. Because, I mean, we're sort of, quote unquote, lucky in that regard where, you know, the first round picks are not really with the team anymore as far as with respect to Blake and Jalen. Yeah, I'll say this too, that like you said, that stubbornness is what has held him back, I think. If you can eliminate that from his career, the stubbornness, I think he would be in way better shape by now. You know, like that stubbornness to like me and Phil were screaming at the TV screen for them to do take Lamar Jackson instead of holding on to Blake Bortles uh, when Lamar Jackson was there at pick number 28 or whatever it was they took Taven Bryant. And that's not to not Taven Bryant because he's getting better by the year. But, I mean, you would much rather have Lamar Jackson clear cut and dry. Or the year before just, that, we were screaming at the TV screen for Patrick Mahomes or uh, Deshaun, Deshaun Watson. Watson. You know, like if he had to, if he had that trigger to understand when to let go of Blake Bortles and he would have been able to add one of those guys into the equation, then we're looking at a whole different franchise. And that's what has really hurt his career. Well, I would say with respect to Lamar and and Patrick Mahomes, the, they both benefit greatly for being a part of great organizations. Jacksonville still needs to prove that they can be a, a secure and a well-run organization. If a place like Baltimore is is getting rid of you, like our old Thomas situation, you know that the, it's the player, it's not the franchise. So it's one of those situations where Jacksonville still needs to take that step from being the little brother in order to being the big brother and showing that they can be a, a leader of men both in the, the the franchise space and then the players on the field I'm, I'm glad you brought up the point too about not just going all in for the tank because the players aren't going to have it you saw that last year in Miami tank for Tua was their whole thing they unloaded everybody and what happened they went on a roll at the end of the game at the end of the uh uh, at the end of the season, and they ended up maybe costing the Patriots, you know, a chance at another Super Bowl that changed the, that altered the whole course of the playoffs. And Brian Flores was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I don't care who our quarterback is going to be next year. We're going to try and win. So, yeah, I, I, I do want to tell this story because I have, when when Jay brings up Lamar Jackson, I always love telling the story again back to when we were in Dallas watching the draft. We had left the draft party a little early because we had tickets to go see Avengers Infinity War. Oh, that was wow. when it came out. It was the oh, same right. night. And we were like, oh <laughs> my God. <laughs> we we're like, luckily the Jaguars, the Jaguars picked before we went to the movie. So we went to a bar and, and, and had some dinner. And Jay at the time, of course, had all of his insider information. So he would get the pick before it came in. And here's me praying <laughs> Lamar Jackson is going to be the pick. And, and before it comes in, I see Jay look at his phone slam it down and just go damn it and i'm like well you just <laughs> spoiled the pick for me because i know it's not lamar jackson and just ruined it and then followed by and again shouts out to Tim brian because he's worked so hard he showed significant improvement last year but when you are determined <laughs> for weeks i'm pushing lamar jacksonville lamar jacksonville it, it writes itself 
that, he was on my Madden team. It was happening. I, I'm a Louisville <laughs> fan, so I, I wanted it. nothing more than, <laughs> than to have Lamar, you know, in a Jaguars uniform. It, it, it was just one of those situations where I think I at the time Dave wanted to take Lamar, and it was Coughlin that said no to that. If I remember that correctly, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Cause I think what was it? The Taven pick was later on in the first round or something like that. Cause I, I think if I'm remembering it correctly, um, it might've been, I know at one point in time it was speculation when they took Fournette with what was it? Fourth overall that it was oh, speculation okay, that they okay. wanted Deshaun Watson. It's, it might be that one that you, um, thinking about, but yeah, Phil, I mean, like, <laughs> I knew you were going to tell that story, but yeah, he gave y'all the clean <laughs> version of what I said because it was a little uh, curse, uh, a lot of curse words in there. And it was funny because when I said it, like everybody that was sitting around us, like just kind of stopped and looked. I was like, my bad, everybody. It's just, you know, I got a, I got a hint on something that I didn't want to know, basically. And uh, I, I didn't even like the crazy thing about it. I didn't even take into effect that I was ruining it for Phil. I was just so upset when I saw what I saw on my phone, like it didn't even register. Like I just had the reaction and the rest is history. <laughs> yep. I, I still hold that, uh, hold that over his head. Take into also account that I had just come from the NFL draft party where in a 40 yard dash, I had fallen at the starting oh, line. No. So it was just a rough day all around. I'll send you that video on Instagram. It's hilarious. And I own up to it because it's so funny. I'll send it to you. <laughs> And there's also several edits with music and, and stuff like that. So um, it's just fantastic. Nice. But yeah, it's yeah, it, it was it was a it was a great time overall. Though. I was glad they were able to come out and visit because yeah, the draft was it was a lot of fun. Uh, we also got they had like a weird way for to let fans in. We were in like a queue, and we were like what Jay like ten thousandth in the queue or something like that. Oh wow! And we're, and we're about to walk into the movie theater, and we get the notification from the NFL app. Hey, it's your turn to go. <laughs> I'm like, well, too bad. I'm, I have other <laughs> I obligations have obligations to the MCU over going to, yeah. So, hey, you but know, yeah, the Jay, funny I mean, thing about uh, that, uh, oh, that 40 feel is like the crazy thing about it is I was, I didn't know you fell for one. That was the, the crazy because me and Josh just jetted and left you. Like, it, it was crazy. And then when I got there, like, I was so upset, like, not understanding the fact that my friend had probably broke his shoulder from the barrel roll he just did. <laughs> I was looking at the 40 time and it said four, eight. And I knew that wasn't right. I was like, oh, hell no. Like, I'm so disappointed at the time. <laughs> it's like, y'all, did y'all like do this correctly or whatever the case may be? And then like five seconds later, here comes Phil running across the finish line. At least he finished though. Like, you know, he had that, that Gus Bradley well, mentality, you know, like keep going no matter what. <laughs> well, Sweep the corners. <laughs> well, afterwards, when we watch the film, you know, cause that's what we do. <laughs> then they point out, Yo, you didn't set your feet right. <laughs> like, why didn't you tell me that before? <laughs> also, I was in vans. It was, it was not. Nice. It didn't. It just didn't work out for me. Uh, I found it here, so I'll send it to you here shortly. But uh, yeah, it was, it was still fun though. There were other people falling, so I didn't feel as bad. <laughs> but it was, it was a good time. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, that pretty much wraps it up for for this discussion, you guys. Again, we were. That's why we were so excited to have Blythe on. And as I said, she's got a whole lot of projects. So Blythe, I want to give you this opportunity to just talk to everybody about where they can find you, where they can find your work and, and all of that. 
Sure. So I own a marketing and web development company called Brumleaf Brands. And under that company, we have uh, several different divisions, uh, sports entertainment blog, which is Guys Girl. Um, I have my own personal entrepreneur blog called Bonjour with Blythe. And then for my you know, transportation and logistics people, I have Digital Dispatch, uh, which is basically the, the, the focus of, of websites and marketing for um, that industry. Uh, launching soon. And I think I I don't know if we talked about it earlier. I think this was before we started recording, but I'm launching a new membership site called Freight School Playbook on September 15th. So that's just marketing and sales training for uh, people who work in the logistics industries, targeting you know small businesses, medium-sized businesses, really trying to help out from the educational perspective. Um, and then on the flip side, I'm on you know all the social media networks at Blythe Brum. Uh, you can find all the links to all of that all on the Brumley Friends website or any of my social media channels to be honest. Yeah. And, and before we uh, before we get Jay to talk about, you know, all of our upcoming stuff here in the show, I do just want to commend you and, and Botter for really like, you know, streamlining Jacksonville podcasting and, and bringing everybody together. I came into Eric and I came into the meetups late. We had no idea they were going on. And then we, we found out about them and just the relationships and the friendships we've been able to build and also the relationship we've gotten with Buzzsprout. Like they're, you know, they're they're great. The Albin shouts out to them over there. They they do such a great job. And for them to also be invested in the local podcast community is huge. You know, it's it's so awesome. So I do want to just take this time and opportunity to thank the both of you for for doing that because it's been such an awesome one of my favorite parts about podcasting has been able to interact with everybody else here in Jacksonville because I had no idea there were so many local shows, you know. Uh, and that's, I mean, I, I'm glad you brought that up because we really didn't know how many local podcasters were here either until we started bringing, until we started having those events. And it, it it sucks that we haven't been able to have one. I think the last one was in February. And so we plan these on a quarterly basis um, with the idea that it's community over competition. And we're meeting up in an environment where we can talk about the different aspects of of, of podcasting and how to just create that content. And Buzzsprout is a podcasting host and they've been absolutely fabulous. They've hosted us, you know, a couple different times and, and it, it, just the resource and the wealth of information that they provide without, you know, harping or harping on, you know, you becoming a customer is just great. They really just are passionate about the podcast medium and, and, to, to their credit too, they didn't know that uh, this many podcasters existed locally and to be able to see the growth of, of the meetups has been really wonderful. So hopefully we can be able to, you know, to start having those again soon. Yeah. We got to get Jay down here for one as well. We talked about that, you know, next, whenever, whenever it is safe to do so. And, um, you know, really, really looking forward to that. So Jay, before we wrap up here, also let everybody know what they have to look forward to not only here in the podcast, but also over on the Jaguars wire. Yeah, so we'll just keep monitoring uh, training camp and give you all the day-by-day um, -day, uh, analysis on what happened in training camp. I missed a few days last week, so excuse that. But I got most of, you know, our roundups in terms of what happened in each session. Uh, so we'll continue to monitor that. Again, it's, what, three weeks, less than three weeks before the season. Uh, so we'll be also, eventually we'll get around to monitoring the Colts. And as you have said uh, plenty of times, Phil, We'll be looking to bring on more guests like Blythe as well to get, you know, their thoughts and takes uh, heading into what will be a crazy regular season. 
Absolutely, guys. So again, Blythe, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed the show and you were still listening, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, wherever you're listening and hit that subscribe button. Also head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe and rate, I'm sorry, and uh, rate the show. That really, really helps us out a lot. Again, you can also find us on Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can tweet the podcast at Believe in Jags Pod. I'm over at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. And James is over at SportsGrind underscore Dawn. This has been a Believe in the Jaguars right here on the Believe Podcast Network. We believe. Do you? We will see you next time, guys.